In this episode of 2000 Books, Dr. Michael Starbird talks about the five elements of effective thinking that will help you solve your most difficult challenges. Well, hello, hello, my ambitious friends, and welcome to 2000 Books. Every Monday and Wednesday, we bring you the most important actionable ideas from the world's greatest books for ambitious entrepreneurs, books in the field of startups, marketing, sales, productivity, management, leadership, strategy, personal development, and much, much more. And I am your host, Manny Vaya. Dr. Michael Starbird is a professor of mathematics at the University of Texas in Austin. In addition to teaching mathematics, Michael loves to think about the process of effective thinking. And today we're talking about his outstanding book, The Five Elements of Effective Thinking, How to Become More Successful Through Better Thinking. Michael, I'm really excited to talk with you about this very fascinating topic about our thinking. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for being here and spreading the great ideas that you have in this book. And of course, we know that you're a professor of mathematics at the University of Texas in Austin. I spent a couple of years in Austin back in 03 and 04. Uh, of course, I went to grad school at Rice. So a little bit of Texas history for me as well. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad. I'll welcome you back to Austin. Yeah, I, I come back often. So thank <laughs> you. Let's talk about your story, your business story, your professional story, and what led you to writing this book? Well, it, it, it really is a, an interesting journey because it was a an end, uh, or I should say a middle part, which I'm now living in, that was unexpected. It was about 25 years ago that a friend of mine became the director of a, a, a liberal arts honors program. And she looked at the curriculum and saw that the mathematics requirement for these wonderfully talented liberal arts students was boring and useless. And so she created a committee and asked me, I was on the committee, to create a course that would actually be valuable to these students. Well, this was a real challenge. And I failed at it about three or four times until I finally got the the key, which was I need to teach them methods of thinking that they can use in the lives they are actually living or will be living. In other words, teaching them to become better writers, better artists, better politicians, better business people, because those are the lives they are going to live. So it completely shifted my focus from the mathematics, which became the vehicle for teaching effective thinking. Now, this book, The Five Elements of Effective Thinking, is the distillation of those ideas without any mathematical content at all. Very interesting. And uh, it's it's fascinating because as a physicist, as an engineer myself, I think, uh, I think in a very specific I, – I guess I like to think that I think very logically, and uh-huh. it's hard to imagine that I could take the concepts of engineering and physics and kind of – show those to someone who's trying to become a better writer or better artist and um, help them along that path. But you have done that brilliantly in this book. So uh, thank you. Yeah, it's it's really exciting. And I I, I should say that the students respond very well to it because it is eye opening. It shows them a different way of thinking that they actually can apply in their own lives. Yes, indeed. And we're going to get into some of those stories. So let's right. let's get into the book. Let's talk about the five elements and let's start from the top. I think the first element you talk about is earth, which is about grounding your thinking and understanding deeply. Tell us more about it. Well, okay. So we we you say earth, we use the the classical elements as a mnemonic for but we're not it doesn't have any significance other than to help remember it Mm -hmm. 
But understanding deeply, I think, is perhaps the most fundamental of any strategy that allows a person to get new insights and to become more creative. To turn to the basics is is something that allows us to see our world with more depth and precision. And let me tell you a story about this that that really brought this to light. Uh, a friend of mine whom I knew in college became an internationally famous virtuoso trumpet player. And his name actually is Tony Plogue. And uh, he was invited a few years ago to come here to the University of Texas and give a master class in trumpet. And he lives in Germany. But he came over, it was, they flew him over, and he stayed at my house because I've known him for decades. And uh, when, when he was there, he said, well, I'm going to teach this class. And I said, well, could I come along? Because I didn't know what a master class was. And he said, sure, come along. So I came along, and, and here is the way it worked. And I, I, those uh, people who are listening who are in the music world or dance, this is something that's done in those realms, but not in mathematics. So it was a, a great instructive event for me. So I, I went over to the music school with him and he was introduced to, and they thought he was great because he was this world famous trumpet player. And, uh, and then he said, uh, uh, there were about 20 people there. They were faculty members in trumpet performance and graduate students in trumpet. And the University of Texas has an excellent music school. So these were all very high caliber people in the trumpet. Well, he said, uh, who's the first performer? And the first person, I've forgotten his name, let's say Bob, uh, said, oh, I'm the first one. He came down and uh, my friend Tony said, uh, what are you going to play for us today? And Bob said, well, I'm going to play the third movement of the Rachmaninoff, something or other, some, some fancy thing, and proceeded to play some virtuosic passage. You know, <laughs> it was really <laughs> impressive. Well, after a few minutes, uh, just two or three minutes, my friend Tony said, oh, thank you very much. That was very good and then proceeded to give him the kind of instruction you would expect from this uh, virtuoso to this wonderfully accomplished student. And he, he gave him pointers on how to hold the trumpet and how to explode the sound and musical insights and so on. But at the end of the half hour or so of back and forth, he said, how much time do you spend practicing the fundamentals, the exercises that apparently all trumpet players play and uh, Bob said, well, I warm up for five or 10 minutes and then I practice my pieces, which they do for several hours a day. And my friend Tony said, well, you might spend more time on the exercises. He didn't make a big deal of it. That's all he said. So Bob sits down and says, I'll do it. And the next person comes up, and I forget her name, Anne, maybe. She came up, same thing, plays virtuosic stuff, gets instruction. And at, at the end of the time, my friend Tony says, uh, how much uh, I... How much time do you spend on the exercises? She said, five minutes. And while I warm up, he said, you might spend more time on the exercises. Well, this proceeded through the four individuals who were treated in this manner. So it was about a two-hour lesson. And at the end of that time, everybody had finished. And in each case, he had said, you might spend more time in the exercises. Well, at the end of the time, he said, uh, are there any questions? Hmm. Well, I raised my hand. And although I was the only person in the room who no, knew nothing about the trumpet, I always have questions. <laughs> that's, that's one of the elements of thinking, by the way. Absolutely. I always have questions. So I raised my hand and I said, why did you tell these wonderfully accomplished people to spend more time on the exercises? And he said, oh, well, let me show you. And he said, Bob, would you come back down? So the first person comes back down. 
And he says, Bob, would you play the exercise? So Bob plays this exercise. And it's the first time we've heard anything except virtuosic kind of music. It was da, 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 da. It was like a scale. It was very simple, childish sounding. And then my friend said, uh, I said, oh, okay, uh, could I borrow your trumpet? And frankly, my response was, Tony, you're giving a trumpet lesson. Bring a trumpet. That was my reaction to it. Apparently <laughs> hadn't thought of that. But in any case, he borrowed his trumpet, but he did have his own mouthpiece, by the way, for if you happen to believe in germs. He had his own mouthpiece, put it in the trumpet, and my friend Tony played that very simple exercise. But when he played it, it was gorgeous. Every note rang like a bell. A little phrase just made meaning to it. It was so beautiful. You would pay money to listen to him playing that exercise. Hmm. And the point was that it was clear that the difference between this actual international virtuoso and this wonderfully accomplished graduate student took place at the most fundamental level. And the, the difference was, and, and Tony explained it. He said, look, if you learn to control the production of the sound and learn to make it very efficient and control it with a lot of nuance, then you can apply it to the most advanced things that you do. And by the way, it's not a question of only working on the fundamentals until you get them great, because you couldn't do that. You have to push yourself forward and then return to the fundamentals and then see the depth in those fundamentals and then apply them to the more, most advanced things that you do. Hmm. To me, this is a metaphor for looking at uh, repeatedly looking at the simple parts of what you do. If you're a business person, look at the fundamentals of the business and look at them again as though you were brand new to the business, but learn them with more depth than you ever knew them before. If you're in a relationship, like a personal relationship, how about talking to the, your, your, your family member or your, your loved one and asking about fundamentals that maybe you've forgotten or maybe you could learn them in more depth? It, it is an amazingly powerful strategy. It's something that a person can actually do that has a huge impact on their ability to push themselves higher than they've ever gone before. It's profound when you actually said the fact that it's not just that you keep on practicing the fundamentals, you push yourself forward, you do other things, and then you come back, because that gives us a sense of perspective. It, it kind of uh, allows us to see the little nuances that we wouldn't have seen before. Exactly. And if they are good fundamentals, you find in them a richness that you never could appreciate until you had seen the most advanced work. Yes. So it's 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 quite powerful. Yes, indeed. It's uh, Now, I'm not sure who was it. Maybe it was Occam, William Occam, who said, I wouldn't pay a penny for simplicity on this side of complexity, but I would pay my life or I would pay my life savings for simplicity on far side of complexity. Uh, yes. Wonderful, wonderful quote. Yeah. And it kind of tells us that we have to keep on walking towards the far side of complexity. And in the process, things do get simplified and we uh, keep on getting better perspective on the simple things that are there. Correct. Yes. Yeah, this is great. And another idea that I took away from this whole uh, idea of grounding our thinking and understanding deeply was focusing on solving a sub-problem of a big, difficult problem. Because sometimes as entrepreneurs, as uh, uh, ambitious people, we bite off more than we chew. We have a big problem at our hand and then we get overwhelmed. So, right. Yeah. So tell us about that. 
Well, well, no, in fact, there's, there's a great quote from a, a person who wrote about problem solving, uh, George Polia, who said, um, if there's a difficult problem you can't do, there's a simpler problem you can't do. <laughs> so trade it in. If you're trying to do something difficult, spend a great deal of time and attention thinking about, is there a simpler version of that challenge? that you could in fact make more headway on. Because what you will do if you work on that subproblem or that essential feature, you will teach yourself some insights that then allow you to attack the most complicated problem that you're after. But, but it, it just makes sense that if you can't do the simpler one, you certainly can't do the harder one. So focusing your attention on the, on the trimmed down problem can be incredibly effective at doing the more complicated one. Absolutely. It's almost like a, it's one of the things we learn in engineering quite a lot, which is attacking from the smallest possible solvable function yeah. and then building uh, building bigger and bigger functions on top of it. That's what we do in computer science as well. Yeah, we teach ourselves. Uh, that That's the joy. I, I think it's just magical that we can teach ourselves how to find insights. Yeah, it is indeed. Um, all right, let's talk about the next I guess the next element of effective thinking. And as you said, these are mnemonics. We have kind of earth, fire, water, sky, and water. So when it comes to the second one, you call it fire, but it's all about igniting insights through mistakes and failing our way through to success. So talk to us about that. Well, yes. And this is one, I think that our education system makes a huge mistake in not encouraging students to make mistakes. Here's the way I think about it. Think about any creative success that you can imagine in, in history. I claim that every creative success is built on the ash heap of failed attempts. It's built on failures. That's where you learn things. You, a mistake is made, and then you look at the mistake, and you see exactly what went wrong. It's, it's not the mistake itself that's beneficial. It's the analysis of where that mistake led you astray. And then by analyzing that, you, you see it differently. Uh, let, let, me, uh, let me give you an, an example of this. Mm -hmm. right, first of all, let me give you a very practical example. Suppose that you're faced with something like writing a report or writing a paper. I think the best strategy that you can take is to just sit down and write a bad report. <laughs> you know, just, just write it. Mm -hmm. Don't think about it good or bad, just write it. And then look at it and say, what parts of it are good? What parts of it are bad? And then don't just throw out the bad parts. The bad parts are as instructive as the good parts. You look at something that's mistaken. It could be a mistake in fact. It could be a mistake in perspective. And by analyzing where, what is exactly wrong with that mistaken assertion, that you are you're, it's directive. You're telling yourself what way to take on the next step. Let, let, me, let me tell you just a, an, an example. I'll give you a, an example that occurred in my uh, class. I was teaching this, this class for liberal arts students, and we were undertaking the, the challenge of understanding the concept of infinity. You see, that's a big topic, infinity. <laughs> and so we were teaching about infinity, and I had come to a theorem that was really very difficult and actually far beyond the, the abilities of the students in the class because of their, their backgrounds were not mathematical. So I said, um, uh, this is a very hard challenge. You can't do it. I'm sure you can't do it. 
take five minutes and do it and talk to your neighbor. And everybody said, well, wait a minute, if we can't do it, what are we doing? And I said, just shut up and do it, just do it. <laughs> so the only rule was they had to make an attempt. Well, after three minutes, I, I turned to somebody in the class, uh, 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 call her Mary, and uh, I, that's the way I pick volunteers is, is I just point to people and I say talk. And so, so Mary was there, I said, Mary, what do you have? Could you show me what you have? And she said, uh, no. And I, I said, what do you mean no? Just show, tell me what you did. Because the rule was they had to make some attempt. And she said, no, I'm not going to tell you because it's wrong. And I said, look, just tell me. Well, she had been taught over years that making a mistake was something you never want to admit, particularly in public. And that, that resistance to admitting error is a hugely inhibitory habit. If you can get used to the idea of being honest about what you know and don't know, it's very uh, helpful. Well, in this case, after she finally said what she, she gave a, a response, I wrote it on the board and I said, oh, you're right, it's wrong. And she was mad. <laughs> and then and I said, can you be specific? Tell me specifically what was wrong. And she could. She she pointed out where a specific error was. And I said, could you fix that one error? Turns out there were infinitely many errors. Could you fix that one? And she said, well, yeah, I could fix that one one piece. I said, OK, take two more minutes and fix as many as you can. And of course, everybody in the class was asked to do the same thing. So they all worked for two more minutes. And then I came back to Mary. I said, what do you have? And she had she had fixed a lot of things. And in fact, she thought she was done. And then some other kid in the class said, said, uh, oh, wait a minute, you've forgotten, you've forgotten this, uh, this thing. And, and she said, shoot, or words to that effect. <laughs> and, and, and I said, okay, take two more minutes and fix them. What's wrong with it exactly? She analyzed what was wrong, took two more minutes and, and fixed it. She tried again, it wasn't quite right. I asked her to do, take two more minutes and fix it. By that strategy, about five attempts at making it, making a wrong attempt, and then seeing what was wrong, remediating that error, fixing the error, and then going on to the next mistake, and then fixing that, and going on to the next one, that strategy led her to come up with a creatively different solution to this theorem that I had never seen before. So I knew I wasn't you know, giving hints that I wasn't aware of. She actually figured out this new thing. And, I, and I'll tell you something. If, if she had been told, if she'd been put in jail and somebody told her, you're not going to get out of jail unless you solve this, she would be in jail today. <laughs> She'd be in jail today. And yet the only contribution I made was not mathematical. I gave no mathematical hints. All I said was, you must write down a mistaken attempt and then analyze what was wrong with that mistaken attempt and be very specific and then fix as much as you can and look and see what is the remaining mistake and then fix what you can and see what's the remaining mistake. And after five iterations, she had come up with a creatively new solution to this problem. Wow. So, so to me, this was a profoundly moving uh, uh, example in my teaching experience, which has been decades, to, to say, yes, indeed, I can help people to become smarter than they are, <laughs> you know, literally, to be able to solve problems that they, in, in some real sense, could not solve without assistance. And yet the only assistance I was giving was not mathematical assistance. It was how to use the minds they have in more effective ways. And I, it was it was really quite a profound statement. And 
by the way, when she left, she, she walked out that day. She said, uh, oh, I want to thank you, uh, Dr. Starburn. I said, oh, oh, really? Why? And she said, because uh, I have a paper that I've been trying to write now for, for a week and I, I haven't been able to do it. Now I know exactly what to do. And I said, oh, really? What? And she said, I'm going to go home and write a bad paper. Hmm. So she really caught it. She really got it. And that has it's happened repeatedly that people, after hearing me talk about this particular strategy, have said, oh, I worked on some challenge that I've been working on for a long time, and I was able to do it by first getting it wrong and then looking and correcting what was wrong. It's a liberating idea, liberating idea. Very liberating and very applicable in the world of entrepreneurship today. And let, me, let me explain what I mean by that to our listeners here. Uh, a lot of the times we start off by thinking, I must have this perfect grand idea or this perfect product that I introduce to the world and they'll go and buy it and that'll, that'll mean I am a success in this business. And a lot of people spend inordinate amounts of time developing that idea, building that idea, thinking that they have to have this perfect idea, perfect product out there. But the right thing to do is to learn and adapt as you go, which is to put out what you have today, to get yep. feedback from the market, and then keep on iterating till you get to the final product. Um, and right. it's the same thing we're talking about here. Exactly right, exactly right. Except I'd make one slight amendment to your statement, which was very good, mm -hmm. which is there is no final product. <laughs> That's true too. That's absolutely true. <laughs> uh, absolutely true. Always more. There's always more. Yes, yes. There is no final product, but we're going to create better iterations of it that will hopefully be more profitable, more revenue generating or whatever it has to be. Exactly. And some of the some of those we might even fail, but the process of iteration and pivoting and you know learning learning is what's essential here, not being right. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Right. Yeah. yeah. This is this is really good. Um, yeah. I think a lot of times we stop ourselves because we get overwhelmed thinking that well, until I have the perfect solution, I won't even get started, which is what Mary was doing. Oh no, and and this happens all the time. I mean, my students in mathematics will do this all the time. They'll come in and and say, uh, oh, I can't do it, you know, and it's true, they can't. And I say, well, can you get it wrong? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, you may not be able to get it right, but you can certainly get it wrong, and that can be very useful. So <laughs> it's liberating. <laughs> yeah, it is very liberating to know that it's okay to fail as we move our way towards success. Correct. Yeah. Now let's talk about the next idea because there's so many great ideas. We could um, let's talk about the fourth, the, the third one, uh, yeah. The third element of effective thinking, and it associates with the idea of creating questions, of asking questions, and it associates with wind or air in some ways. Yeah, yeah well, that that one, that association, I think, is pretty weak. <laughs> but you know, we had to think of something, uh -huh. uh, right? But the 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 useful idea is to get in the habit of constantly raising questions, and in particular, the question of what is the right question? Mm. Spending a lot of time really concentrating on what is the right question can influence uh, decisions that you make in life. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, uh, one, I, I find it really quite poignant that many people spend their entire lives pursuing the wrong question. 
they, they may well spend their whole lives, for example, trying to get rich. You know, they may think, oh, that's that's the goal. I'm going to I'm going to really work on trying to get rich. Whereas the real question for their lives might be to have a satisfied life. To feel that that the what they're they're living, the life they're living, gives them the kind of internal sense of worth and and purpose that that makes it a very satisfied life. I mean, that's a very basic distinction, and yet it can make profound differences in individual daily decisions that people make. Yeah. So, asking the right questions is a uh, is an incredibly important thing to do, because uh, I, I think there's a, a quote from Peter Drucker, who was this uh, famous guru. Do you know Peter Drucker? Yeah, absolutely. He's one of my heroes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, there's nothing more useless than doing efficiently that which should not be done at all. Yes, yes. And and Einstein had another quote, which was, if I had a difficult problem to solve, I would spend 80% of the time trying to come up with the right question and then yes. answering that. Exactly right. Exactly right. Well, I'll, I'll give you an example, by the way. This is a story. So Austin, Texas has, I've been here for 40 years now. And one of the problems that have has arisen is that it's so popular that there's traffic. There's lots of traffic. But I have solved the traffic problem, <laughs> which is very, very impressive. Mm -hmm. So here's the way I solved it. I realized that one way to frame the traffic problem is I'm at work and I want to get home and it takes too long because there are the, all these cars there. Well, one solution would be to figure out a way to, uh, to get there faster. But another solution is to realize that the real question is, why would I rather be where I'm going than in the car? Mm. So if you, if you frame the question that way, then you say, what could I do in the car that would make it so enjoyable that I don't mind if, it, if I have to sit in the car a little longer? And so what I do is I listen to books on tape and to podcasts like yours, and I listen to awesome. uh, you know, lectures from the great courses. I listen to these things in the car, and I love it. So sometimes I literally go home during rush hour so I can enjoy my books more. <laughs> so. I have I have absolutely done the same thing, and I, I think that's that's so true. I mean, when when we're in traffic, the question I have to ask myself is, why is traffic bad? And the answer is because I'm wasting my time. Well, how could I use my time? And then I find out that hey, I can listen to my podcast and I can listen to my audiobooks, and there is no right. time wasted anymore. So exactly, exactly, traffic exactly. doesn't affect it. Yeah. Good. Good. Yes. We're on the same. We're on the same wavelength here. I, I, we are. We are absolutely. <laughs> except that nowadays I don't have to drive to work anymore, and that's a good thing. Oh, is that right? So, well, that's good for you. Yeah. Back in the days, I used to drive fifteen miles one way, which used to take forty-five minutes in the San Diego traffic. But now, I work around in downtown, so it's not that big a deal. <laughs> <laughs> But, that's another solution. <laughs> yeah, that's another solution. Uh, there are so many better solutions than the wrong question that we're answering sometimes. Right. Exactly. And to, to go back to the idea, like where people are just wondering, okay, I want to be successful. Maybe as an entrepreneur, that's a, that's a disease I see across the board with a lot of uh, or a lot of starting entrepreneurs and even mature entrepreneurs that their definition of success is tied to how much money they've made. But the question they never asked was, what is success to me really beyond money? Like what, okay, so I made this money, now what? what where, 
what is the true essence of success? If that question was never answered, we will be running around in a life, running around uh, always unfulfilled, always looking for the next thing to do, not realizing that success doesn't need to be just about a certain dollar amount. Correct. Correct. That's And it is so true. And by the way, it's, it's practical. I mean, and sometimes, you know, that kind of thing is said and people say, oh, yeah, that's just for people who don't make enough money. And it's just not true. It, it, it is something where if you embrace this and you just realize, you know, we're all living life and, and we're, we're having this our one chance of, of going through life and we can either be satisfied with it or we can construct these sort so to speak, artificial challenges that really inhibit us from ha- having the kind of satisfaction that would make uh, make our own lives and those around us uh, more fulfilled. So it's it's a it's a very interesting uh, fact. And and by the way, of course, the the irony is that very often, if one focuses on what actually brings satisfaction to oneself, it actually tends to bring success in these other ways as well. So it's not actually in competition. It turns out that because your mind is focused in a, in ways that are intrinsically motivating, that they often lead to the kinds of success that you could measure in other ways as well. Absolutely. This is like one of the paradoxes of life. Very uh, hard to understand and hard to um, accept and even agree to. But and, and, right. uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, here I am. We run a book summary business, which is all about uh, books for ambitious entrepreneurs. I mean, ambition is the key word here. But at the same time, I realize ambition just towards making more money is not the only ambition we need to have in our lives. There is ambition to live a greater life, which is much more important than just ambition to make more money. Right, right. Yeah. Very very interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And (laughs) another idea you had um, was asking meta questions, like questions about the questions that we're currently asking ourselves. And I, I found that fascinating because sometimes we get trapped in the current level of thinking and we cannot extract ourselves from that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Stepping back and, and thinking more globally can be very helpful. Yeah. Like, for example, I was in a, in a, in a meeting just a couple of days ago. And what I did not realize in that meeting, everyone was expressing their points of view and trying to sound really smart. Mm-hmm. But we had never asked the meta question, what is the purpose what is the benefit of doing this? Because the, the ultimate benefit would not be to sound really smart. The ultimate benefit would be to learn something new. But we, since mm-hmm. we had never asked that question, never asked that meta question, we were stuck all trying yeah. to prove ourselves right. Right, right. Yeah, no, and, and of course that, by the, by the way, the, the habit of trying to appear to be smart or to know more than you actually know it's very interesting. It's built into our culture. I don't know if it's United States culture or entrepreneurial culture, or, or I don't know whether it's human culture. I don't know. But the idea of, of if, if you can learn to be honest about what you know and don't know and not waste your time pretending to be smarter or knowing more than you do, it is amazingly powerful because then you don't waste your time you are actually dealing right at that threshold between what you know and what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And that that is amazingly effective. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is great. And now let's talk about the fourth key here, which is 
flow of ideas looking back looking forward and you associate with that with the element of water so tell us about that okay well well yes this this is the idea that every single invention every single idea every concept that we have was really built on all of the ideas that preceded it and it will then continue on in the future to be developed further and and i i'm going to tell you a little uh, example um so i'm here at the university of texas at austin which is of course a huge university and we have on the campus here i, I think it's between 150 and 200 buildings but one thing that's quite annoying is that very often there are cranes around, the streets are closed, there's construction going on, and I've been here 40 years, it's always that way. You know, it's just always under construction. And so um, let's just do a little mental arithmetic. How long does a building last before it needs a major renovation or needs to be replaced? You know, I'd say maybe 50 years. Does mm-hmm. that seem reasonable? Yeah. So, Okay. So if you've got 150 buildings and each individual building is only going to last 50 years before it needs to be renovated, then that means on average, three buildings are going to start a renovation each year on average. So that means that that those are three buildings that are going to have cranes involved and and road closures and so on. You, You have the illusion that the norm of life is that everything is working perfectly. But the reality is that in the case of these buildings, the construction is the norm. Being under construction is the norm. It's not the exception. So think about your own life now. So, or, and, and if you take an entrepreneurial uh, situation, you've got, you've got the, all of the aspects associated with with life you've got yourself you've got your people that you know you have your health you've got your monetary issues you got your business problems you've got social issues think of all of the aspects of life that you're connected with the norm is that some of those are under construction mm-hmm. you know it's not the norm that everything is perfect that's not either the norm or the goal Everything, there are always going to be features of life that are under construction. And, and if you embrace that and you realize that it's not the norm to say, it's not the goal to say, okay, everything's going to be perfect. But instead that, that you're going to deal with those parts that need attention and need to be rebuilt and need to be thought through, that that is part of the, first of all, it's the reality of life regardless of how you approach it, but it can be part of the joy of life. That, that things develop and they continue to develop. Uh, I, ha- I had a, uh, a mentor here whose name was R.H. Bing, who was a very famous uh, topologist, if topologists can be said to be famous, <laughs> but, <laughs> famous among topologists, which is a branch of mathematics, an ab- abstract branch of mathematics. Right. In any case, one thing that he said is the time to work on a problem is after you've solved it. Huh. And what he meant by that was this. Suppose that you're, you have something, some challenge in your life or in your business, and then you found a way to solve that. You have got some insight that allowed you to solve it. His point was this. What's the chance that your insight would apply only to that one particular problem? The chance is very low. 
if you actually have an insight, the first thing you should do is say, oh, can I push it even further? Hmm. Can I apply that same insight to a different problem in a different domain? So, and, and think of it like this. I mean, think about inventing the cell phone, you know, so you, your company just invented the cell phone. Do you think you should now stop and start investing in some other, um, <laughs> you know, some other entity, some other product? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. What you should do is start investing in the cell phone. See how it could be improved. See what variations you could make of it. See, you know, whatever the insight is or the advancement that you made, that is the rich moment for even further advancement. Hmm. Building on strengths. It, it really is, is an amazingly powerful idea. Yeah, building on the current solutions to build bigger and bigger and better solutions as we go into the future because everything is a work in progress. Correct. Hmm. Correct. Yes. Very nice. Very nice. All right, now let's talk about the last of these concepts, which is change, transformation, the fact that we are, I mean, the only thing that's constant in life is change. So tell us about that. Yes, well, okay, I, I will try to explain something which I'm not always successful at, at getting across, which, um, and, and I'll, I'll give it as an example, a, a sports example. Um, Suppose that you wanted to, to describe uh, an excellent tennis player. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Excuse me. So you're, you're, you, you think of somebody like uh, Serena Williams or, or Roger Federer, some great tennis player. Now, of course, one way to describe it is that, well, they're much better than a beginning tennis player. But I think a more effective way to think of it is that they are doing something different. They're literally doing a different task. And, and let me show it to you this way. When a beginner is watching a tennis ball come over the net, the beginner l- keeps looking at where he wants to hit the ball. You know, so he's looking over at the side where he wants to hit it, and then he swings at the ball. So what he is doing is he is waiting, he's predicting the future location of a moving ball, and then while not looking at where the ball is hitting the racket, he's, he's swinging at it, hoping to hit it to where he's aiming. Look instead at how uh, Serena Williams plays. If you watch carefully at Serena Williams or any of the uh, wonderful tennis players, you will see that she actually watches the ball as it's moving until it impacts on her racket. She's doing a different task of watching the ball all the way until it actually strikes her racket. Now, by focusing on where the ball is moving all the way until the point of impact, it's a really a different task. When I'm doing mathematics and I'm comparing the way I would do a calculus problem with to what a student would do it, the student comes in and sees a boxed example and then just follows the, the uh, pattern. I know what the derivative means. I know why you would take the derivative and set it equal to zero. I understand the the goal of that. And even though I might literally write down the same steps in doing a problem, what's going on in my mind is quite different. Now, to me, what, what this means is that when you're thinking about becoming more expert at something or more successful or better, Instead of thinking about saying, okay, I'm going to be better, I'm going to really bear down and be better, and to think about what is different about the way to operate as an expert compared to where you are now, or as a better expert compared to where you are now. Mm-hmm. Think about a change in actual action 
rather than improving something that you do. And that can make a huge difference. So if you actually, in, in, the, in the case of these five elements of effective thinking, if you literally get in the habit of looking at fundamentals very deeply and you get in the habit of, of allowing yourself to make mistakes and then analyze those errors and see how they direct you to the next stage. If you take the trouble to raise questions, whenever something comes up, you say, is that the right question? Can I give a variation of that question that would be more actionable? Can, can I, uh, and, then, and then you can say, what is the next step? What preceded where I am now? What would be the future step? If you think about the flow of ideas, if you get into those practical steps and you make those action items hmm. that you actually do on a regular basis, then your actual inner life changes. You become a different person and more effective. So, so that's what I mean by change. Change is sort of the meta, the, the meta theme here, that if one gets in the habit of actually doing these, these, habit, these practices of thought on a regular basis, then, then anybody who does them will become more insightful, will become more creative, will become more successful in what it, what it is that they're doing. Right. It's the idea of embracing uh, embracing change, but not only that, uh, using, um, it's almost building, building upon what we have come to understand so far, but not only that, it's almost like saying, um, this is the path to, a, to a better life or greater life. Or the, this is the path to the lifelong journey in some ways of embracing, uh, a different way of thinking, embracing a new way of thinking and, and challenging ourselves every time and, putting those things into action. Exactly, exactly. Nice. So it's, it's very, very satisfying. Yeah, absolutely. So we've covered quite a lot of ground here, Michael, and now let's kind of put a closure to this interview by giving our listeners three specific action items as you look back at this interview or as you look back at your classes and how you deal with them, whichever way you want to do it, but three specific action items that they can go on and do today. Okay. So one, I would say take your, if, your business or your personal life, whichever you want, and look at the simple parts of it deeply, meaning pretend you were brand new, say, to the business, and do you understand the fundamentals? I think that would be very eye-opening. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Number two, actually make an attempt at some challenge that you faced and write down, just take a piece of paper and write without stopping. Just, just, just fill up with a bunch of garbage, not even complete sentences and just, you know, or type, just, just don't worry about anything, but just spend 10 minutes writing down a solution to a problem that you've had for, for a long time, even though you don't know the solution, hmm. just whatever comes to your mind and then look at it and say, what is right and what is wrong. So that's an action you can take, 10-minute action. Mm -hmm. And, and then, then the, the third thing I, I would say is go ahead and ask yourself the fundamental question, what is the question of your life? Mm -hmm. And that is, of course, a very profound one, but it can have practical daily influences and I think very healthy ones. Wow, what is the question? 
of your life. I'm going to be thinking about that now. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, that is, that's a very, uh, wow, that's going to take me some time. It, it will. Yeah. And it's, it's healthy to revisit. Yeah. You know, not, it's not just one answer and then you, you carry on. It's, it's something by rethinking it, it's very healthy. Wow. That was great. This is great. I have learned so much and I'm sure our listeners have too. So, Michael, how can they find more of you, learn more from you, find the book and all that good stuff? Oh, well, well so the, the book is called The Five Elements of Effective Thinking by Edward B. Berger, B-U-R-G-E-R, and me, Michael Starbird, S-T-A-R-B-I-R-D, flying. And uh, it's a very short book. We worked extremely hard. I probably have 500 pages on my computer, and this book is very tiny. It's mm -hmm. available on Audible, and, and uh, the Audible version only takes three hours and nine minutes to read. <laughs> so we, we forced ourselves to cut it down and make it very short. So uh, uh, one thing I, I, I hope people will be interested in will will read the book. I, I'd love to talk to people. I love to talk to entrepreneurs and business people and and try to help them if I can. So if they can always contact me through my um, uh, my email at the University of Texas at Austin, which they can easily look up. Uh, but it's been a great pleasure for me to to meet you on the. Uh, on this podcast and and i hope to talk to you at some point in the future and see how you're doing thank you thank you thank you very much michael it's been a pleasure it's been a joy and i'm very grateful for this time together well thank you so my ambitious friends i have a very important question for you what is the single biggest indicator and predictor of success because in my reading of over 1000 books i have found out that there is one common thread one common indicator that ties all of the greatest success stories in this world. And this is a factor that has been emphasized again and again and again in the greatest books ever written on the topic of accomplishing our goals. The greatest thinkers and achievers have all said the same thing. From Marcus Aurelius, the Stoic philosopher 2,000 years ago, to the greatest UFC fighters of today. And from champion athletes like Babe Ruth and Michael Jordan to big-time entrepreneurs like Elon Musk. So, here at 2000 Books, we have created a 90-day course specifically on this topic, where we summarize 40 of the greatest books ever written on this topic. So reading these books, reading these 40 books can take you almost 250 plus hours. And if you read one hour every day, Monday through Friday, every week, this reading can take you a year. But what we have done is we have summarized the knowledge from these books into daily 5 to 10 minute bite-sized videos so that you can absorb a new idea or a couple of new ideas every single day and take action on them, take action on them and build them over time over a period of 90 days. So come check out this course at 2000books.com slash tough, that's T-O-U-G-H, tough, or text the word Tough, T-O-U-G-H, to 44222 and get more information on this course. The course is now live and you can join at any time. And I look forward to seeing you on the inside of the course.